crossroads of empires, battleground of the ages, city of peace and of war. This is Jerusalem, where archaeology uncovers the empires of yesterday, where prophecy decodes the headlines of today. This is where history and prophecy come alive. This is Watch Jerusalem. Hello and welcome back to Watch Jerusalem. I'm your host, Brent Naktagal, coming to you this Sunday from Jerusalem, Israel. Thanks very much for listening. We're going to talk about Iran today and the action that Israel is taking against them. This is something that obviously we talk about quite a lot on this program because it's happening time and time again. And while people might blame Israel... Uh, for these attacks, really, these are defensive moves, preemptive strikes that are intended to deter Iran from acting uh, more aggressively at Israel. Israel is aware of Iran's end game. They're aware that Iran would rather the Jewish state not exist. And Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has worked for over 40 years to try and make the world aware of the threat that Iran poses, not only to Israel, but to the rest of the world as well. And this is this is an important uh, warning that he is providing because it does fit directly in line with biblical prophecy. Bible prophecy talks about Iran as being the pushy foreign actor that pushes the world towards World War III. That's what it says over in the book of Daniel in chapter 11 and verse 40. And we talk about this prophecy so, so often because it is something that's readily uh, visible on the world scene. And Iran is positioning itself to make this prophesied push, even as we speak. And Israel's actions against it show that. And Mr. Netanyahu's position, uh, because he has been so aware of Iran's attacks and Iran's goals, his position has allowed him to expose Iran's desires to the world. Of course, there are many in this world that don't like Israel. There are many that don't like the Jewish state. There are many in this region that would that have built up uh, their whole foreign policy against the Jewish state, and yet we know that the Jewish state is not the aggressor in this battle against Iran, and it really is a battle over in the past 24 hours, or two days at least, we've seen attacks against Iranian installations and Iranian proxies by Israel in three different countries. And the one that happened over overnight on Saturday was important because Israel, including the Prime Minister himself, came out and discussed uh, this attack publicly. Israel, of course, doesn't normally do this, uh, but in this case, they decided to do it. This is what Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu uh, tweeted 15 hours ago from right now. He said this, I have directed that our forces be prepared for any scenario. We will continue to take determined and responsible action against Iran and its proxies for the security of Israel. In a major operational effort, we have thwarted an attack against Israel by the Iranian Quds Force and Shiite militias. I reiterate, Iran has no immunity anywhere. Our forces will uh, operate in every sector against the Iranian aggression. Quote, if someone rises up to kill you, kill him first, end quote. So this is serious, and this is a statement directly from the top of Israel that Israel is acting in all these domains. Of course, there has been so much said over the past month at all these mysterious attacks that are taking place in Iraq. I think we're up to five now. Ex explosions that have, that have gone off at different bases belonging to Shiite 
militias that that mainly uh, that are Iraqis, but that are loyal to Iran, and Israel, it seems, is attacking them. And with this, with this uh, quote that that Mr. Netanyahu gave, he's trying to make it obvious that they aren't just attacking them in Syria. They've been doing that for the past five years. And almost a thousand separate attacks Israel has, has made against Iranian installations and proxies inside Syria. But they're going to start doing it in Iraq and Iraq as well. And they're going to be doing it anywhere, anywhere that they see an Iranian threat. Now, this is this is different for Israel. Israel has always acted if they were pushed so far back into the corner they w- and there's a serious, serious threat, they will preemptively strike. Whether it's the, uh, the Iraqi nuclear reactor back in 1981, whether it's the Syrian nuclear reactor uh, in 2007, I guess it was, whether you're talking about the preemptive strike that led to the that began the six day war, Israel will preemptively strike. And yet these those those instances were it was crucial for Israel to do that. Now it could be said that Israel is preemptively striking in uh, in these cases uh, because Iran was about to attack Israel. And and I guess this one on Saturday night it was a situation like that. But these attacks in against. Other attacks against Iranian installations in Syria, inside Iraq, they are preemptive in the sense that there was no, at least it looks like, imminent threat. And yet Israel is deciding that it is not going to allow Iran to retrench itself to, to get to the point where the problem is so big that it can't be dealt with. Basically, they're trying to learn the lesson of the failure of Lebanon, where... Israel pulled out of Lebanon. Second Lebanon War happens 2006. Hezbollah is allowed to survive. And over the past 15 years, Hezbollah builds up its missile stockpile. So now that they have over 140,000 missiles pointed at Israel, and everybody knows, including the IDF, that the next time that there is a major war involving Hezbollah, there is going to be severe Israeli casualties. And Israel is working to prevent that from happening inside Syria and inside Iraq. And they are acting in a more offensive way. It's no longer the the state of things where Israel is pushed so far back into a corner and then they act. No, they will act before. They will act preemptively. They will act so that the situation doesn't get out of hand or even, even worse than it is already. Now, this is a direct result of the policy of the Prime Minister of Israel. That's what uh, not many people are talking about, but it seems to be that way. And we're going to talk about a little bit about that today. This is what Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said going back uh, to, I think it was July, uh, middle of July. He said this in an interview with Israel Hayom. This was marking uh, the time period in which he became the longest serving Prime Minister uh, of Israel. This is at the beginning of the article. It says, this is the question. In the past, people said that Israel was a state that was destabilizing the Middle East. And he responds, Netanyahu here. They also used to say that the problems in the Middle East were the result of the Palestinian problem. And then he said, the question, next question. And what is the situation today? This is Mr. Netanyahu now. Take note of this. 
There isn't anyone who makes that claim seriously anymore. Even our sworn enemies are ashamed to say it because it's obvious that they lack uh, that the lack of stability here is the result of the struggle between the dark ages and modernism, between tyranny of radical Islam and the forces of freedom. That is the most important battle. That is what is destabilizing everything. Standing up to fundamentalist Islam that wants to take over the Middle East and then the entire world. If there's one element that is stabilizing the Middle East and fighting radical Islam here, it's Israel. The IDF is the only army in the world that is fighting the Iranian military, and that says it all. The ones that say that more than uh, anyone else are the Arab nations, their appreciation for us is going sky high. Uh, their ties with us are growing closer, and even Europe understands it. And so he's talking about how Israel has recognized clearly and appropriately and truthfully that Iran and radical Islam is the destabilizing factor in the world and they are going after Iran and radical Islam to the point now that they're opening up other domains of battle. This is Iran's fight, Iran's war against the Middle East. And in the past two days, uh, you've had action in Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, and you can even talk about what happened down in Yemen against against uh, by the Houthis as well, um, shooting down another American drone that's not really been talking about much. That happened a couple of couple of days ago, also. And so Iran is waging a war. It is positioning itself to wage a war, and Israel, for its part, is standing up and saying that they don't want that to happen, and they're acting on it. They're acting on it. Let's get back to this attack that took place on Saturday night, Saturday night Israel time. Uh, this is an article that was just written, I guess, or just published 20 minutes ago uh, at the Jerusalem Post. It's by uh, Anna Arenheim. Uh, she writes on the military affairs there for the Jerusalem Post. And she talks about this attack and the rare confirmation of the attack as well. Um, quoting now from this article, it says this. Qasem Soleimani, commander of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps, Al-Quds Force, personally oversaw the training, funding, and preparation for the drone attack that the IDF thwarted late Saturday night. And that's what the chief uh, chief of staff, Avi Kohavi, said on Sunday, just a, just a short time ago. According to IDF spokesman Brigadier General Ronan Manalis, the IDF was able to stop the cell and was, and was ordered last night to strike Akrabah early Sunday morning after they had received intelligence that the attack would happen on Sunday. So they were preparing for this attack for some time using drones. Uh, the drones, he said, were similar to the kind used by the Houthis in Yemen against Saudi Arabia. Each of the drones was capable of carrying several kilograms of explosives and was supposed to be operated by a group of Iranian pilots who arrived specially in Syria several days ago for the mission. And so Iranians came in. This was directed by the Quds Force leader, Qasem Soleimani. We've talked at length about him, and uh, we've done some programs on him specifically and how he is leading the Jerusalem force for the Iranian military. And you can, uh, of course, uh, listen to that. I'll leave that in the show notes for you if you want to go back and get some history on who this man is. I'm sure you've heard about him uh, in the past. Anyhow, the cell planning the attack had recently arrived in Syria, landing at Damascus International Airport from Tehran several days ago and had received direct orders from Quds Force Commander Major General Qasem Soleimani, who was personally involved. Then it says the IDF was on high alert Sunday, uh, just in case they would retaliate. Uh, apparently there was a number of... So Israeli, Israel basically attacked 
uh, this drone facility before they took off, just before they attacked on, uh, that they were meant to attack this Sunday uh, against Israel's forces. The IDF came out with this provocative uh, tweet half an hour, uh, 45 minutes ago. They said this uh, to, colon, Iranian Quds Force Commander Qasem Soleimani, re, last night, quote, we will carry out a large-scale attack of killer drones on the Zionist entity from Syria. That's what he says, end quote. And then it said, because they're quoting Qasem Soleimani, saying that. And then Israel says in the IDF in their tweet, it sounded good in your morning me- meeting, didn't it? <laughs> so this is, I mean, this is kind of, it's crazy. You're talking about life and death and people that are planning to devastate the Jewish state with a, with a drone attack like this from Syria. This is what Qasem Soleimani is, is organizing. And apparently it was in retribution from these attacks that are taking place against these missile storage sites in Iraq. That's what he was trying to retaliate against. And the Israelis are coming out and saying, we know what you were up to. Then it continues, this tweet, Soleimani commanded an attack of killer drones on Israel. Iranian Quds operatives flew to the Damascus International Airport with drones and explosives and continued to Iranian base in Syria to prepare for an attack on Israel. An attack that never happened. We attacked their base. That is the IDF tweeting that again about half an hour ago, or 45 minutes ago. And so they've got a picture there, the Israelis do, uh, of the, the, the site that was, that was attacked by Israel. And so this was a thwarted attack. And so just because Israel isn't getting hit doesn't mean there is so much going on right now for Iran to prepare itself to make a play for Israel. We know they're even doing that from the inside. We reported on last week at Watch Jerusalem how Hamas is being mobilized to a greater extent inside the West Bank to have some make some serious attacks against Israel. The Palestinian Authority just came out today. Of course, the Palestinian Authority is led by Fatah, who is anti-Hamas. They want to rule the Palestinian people. They don't want Hamas to rule inside the West Bank. Well, the Palestinian Authority came out and said that this attack that took place, I guess it was Friday afternoon, I'm trying to recall if it was Friday afternoon, where uh, a family, a father and two of his children, who are teenagers and a bit older, um, were hit by an explosive just outside of Jerusalem, inside the inside Judea, uh, and that attack led to the death of this girl. Palestinian authorities said that this explosion and the uptick in violence, this is a, an organized cell, that this isn't lone wolf attacks anymore. And again, these people are directed by Iran as well. And so you've got Iran preparing its attacks against Israel and Israel standing up and defending itself inside the West Bank, though. We'll see just how much they can do. Of course, Israel has uh, superior um, intelligence, superior firepower. But nevertheless, I mean, how how Hamas can, can access these explosives and, and even uh, make a successful attack like this, is it is... It is worrying for sure. We know, of course, Bible prophecy says that that Hamas and and Iranian-backed terrorists are going to make a play, a stronger play at the West Bank, and even trying to take over half of Jerusalem, east of East Jerusalem. But let's get back to what's happening in the broader scene now. Iran is mobilizing its Quds Force to make a play against Israel. This is something that is becoming more and more obvious and something that Israel is acting against. 
we wrote about this. We wrote about this earlier on this year. We talked about how Iran believes that it has conquered Iraq and they're going to use Iraq as this forward operating base. That's what we said back in, I think it was April. We wrote an article about it. Iraq is conquered onto Jerusalem. We had Qasem Soleimani, the man that ordered this attack, getting the, the order of uh, uh, Zulfakhar, the highest medal that is possible to get inside the Iranian military, pinned on his chest by the Ayatollah, saying, thank you very much. And he was saying, thank you very much, symbolically, because Iran was conquered. Iraq was conquered, sorry, by Iran. And Soleimani was the man that was waging the long war for 40 years ever since the Iranian revolution, and eventually they were successful. And then what did they do? They had their drone test, where they used 50 drones. They flew them in a certain maneuvers, and they were planning to have weaponry on them. And that was called On to Jerusalem. Jerusalem 1 was what it was called. Jerusalem 1, this is our first. Why not Jerusalem 5, 6, 7, and 8? Because they knew that Iraq had to be conquered first. That's what they'd said for 40 years. That was one of the common slogans that mobilized them in the Iran-Iraq war when a million people were, de were killed. What mobilized the Iranian soldiers, the Shiites, to fight? Well, it was the understanding that uh, if they're going to get Al-Quds, if they're going to get Jerusalem, then they have to go through Iraq. That's what they were saying back then. So now they believe that Iraq is taken, and we see Israel acknowledging that fact, and Israel acting, looks four or five times in the past month against Iran in Iraq. So why are they acting so preemptively? I think there's two, two things, two causes at play here. One is because Israel can't afford to allow Iran to get, get another, or get entrenched in another nation, Iraq, and then fire its missiles, Western Iraq, and Iran's got missiles in Western Iraq even now that can reach Israel. And so if they are, and missiles that, fire, that they fire that long, uh, over that long distance, they're going to be equipped with you know, guidance systems. And so Israel is worried about that, and they're doing the defensive maneuvers to try and stop the amount of missiles from increasing there on the western border of Iraq. They want to prevent a southern Lebanon happening in Western Iraq. Because Iran does have the firepower. They have the, one of some of the, the largest ballistic missile um, arsenals in the Middle East. And they have proven through their attacks in the past year, attacks at, against northern Iraq and Kurdish areas, um, that they are able to hit accurately over distances of 300, 400, 500 kilometers. They can hit a building within a couple of meters of what they intend. And so that exists, that technology exists. So Israel's trying to prevent that from happening. That's one reason why we're seeing Israel now uh, be more offensive in, in taking out these installations. But the other reason is that Israel feels extremely confident in its own defensive weapon capability. It feels very confident in the Iron Dome system. It feels very confident in David's sling. It feels very confident in the Arrow 3 system. These are all systems that have been uh, worked on together with the United States, and they have created an effective defensive shield against Israel. About 13 years ago, 14 years ago, I was on a plane uh, coming to Israel for the first time, and I was overhearing a conversation to, uh, with um, 
one of my friends that was that's coming over with me and uh, they were talking to an American official and asking what he was doing. He was actually in the private sector, but he was working with the with the Israeli military. And he was talking about the Iron Dome system before we knew it was called the Iron Dome system. And he was talking about how Israel and the United States were working to- together to develop a defensive weapon system that would be so effective that if Hezbollah decided to throw a Molotov cocktail over, over the border, that Israel be able to shoot it at the sky before it hits the ground. And while he was obviously exaggerating there, that's what we see. That's what we see today, a situation where Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad can fire uh, four, five, six hundred of these rockets and missiles towards Israel from the Gaza Strip, and Israel, Israel's systems, at least at this point, don't look like they've been overwhelmed, that they can hit the majority of them out of the sky. They can hit 85% of them out of the sky. And so Israel right now does have this extremely uh, effective defensive missile shield. And so now with that, the fear of reprisal isn't as, isn't, they're not as worried as much of the reprisal attack that could come. Just with this, what do we see? Israel takes out some Iranian installations in Syria. There's a couple of drones that are found up in, in Lebanon. People are blaming them on Israel. It's unsure right now at this moment whether they're Israeli that went down or whether, whether they're actually Iranian drones over the southern Lebanon. Nasrallah here, the head of Hezbollah, is due to speak in 13 minutes. So by the time this goes live, <clears throat> he'll have, what he, uh, he'll have uh, his speech already given. But Israel prepared the Iron Dome system to be moved up to the north. They, they regularly stationed some up there, but now they move more just in case. And so you have this situation where Israel feels at greater liberty to strike in these foreign domains and to let it known that there was Israel that's, that struck because they also have this defensive weapon capability. Here's an article from August 5th. This is written by Jacob Nagel. He's a former head of the Israeli Israel's National Security Council and a former national security advisor to Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. He is a visiting fellow at the Freed Foundation for Defense of Democracies. It's interesting. You actually saw the, the FDD get uh, sanctioned by the Iranian government. Mark Dubowitz, I think he's the leader of uh, the FDD. He got personally sanctioned as well um, today. Uh, by the Iranians as well. Anyhow, he is this is, man is a visiting, sh- a visiting fellow at the FDD, and he writes this in an article for The Hill and uh, Hill.com. Back on August 5th, U.S.-Israeli Missile Defense Cooperation sends clear mis- message to foes. Quote, Israel and U.S. missile defense agencies just completed, together with their leading defense industries, a successful test of the new Arrow 3 interceptor. While the Israeli Air Force declared the system operational almost a year ago, these tests now serve as a clear indication to enemies, notably Iran, that Israel's multi-layer missile defense system has the country covered. So they just do this test, and it's a sign. This man would know. (laughs) He's been right there at the top levels of decision-making and understanding Israel's defensive missile shield. And it's at the point now where Israel feels safe because of it and it's giving them the green light to act in ways that we're seeing right now continuing a quote here from jacob nagel israel began to develop its multi-layered missile defense 
In the 1990s, following the first Gulf War, when Iraqi strongman Saddam Hussein fired scuds at the Jewish state, Washington positioned Patriot missiles in the country to intercept them, but several scuds landed, causing damage and casualties. This prompted Israel, with generous U.S. support, to begin construction of the missile defense architecture Israel boasts today. Over the decades of development, the Israeli multi-layer system currently consists of four operational layers. The Iron Dome, which is the short range, obviously, David Sling, medium range, Arrow 2, longer range, and now Arrow 3, very long range. These, these Arrow, the Arrow 3 is absolutely um, just, just amazing. And it's, it's incredible that they can actually do this. They can, they can, a ballistic missile can be fired into the Earth's, at, outside the Earth's atmosphere Israel can take note of it, fire its own missile, ballistic missile outside the Earth's atmosphere, and there can be a direct hit against the tiny missile up in the Earth, up above the Earth's atmosphere. But that's what Arrow 3 can do. And you probably saw the footage of the cabinet meeting, uh, uh, I guess it was four weeks ago now, where Israeli Prime Minister was standing or sitting right next to the Israeli amb- uh, U- U.S. ambassador to Israel, David Friedman, and together... They were talking about this, uh, or watching this successful test three times. Metal hit metal, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu said um, at that. And so you have the Arrow 3, you have the Arrow 2, you have David Sling, you also have Iron Dome put together. Then I'll continue down here. He's also talking about how lasers are likely to be an important part of the next frontier missile system. And then it says this, of course, scientists have been predicting this for decades, but in recent years, the technology of solid state uh, lasers has made strides. Still, it's not yet ready for deployment. Next paragraph. Missile defense will continue to be the largest expenses in the Israeli military budget. This is because of of a spike in missile and rocket threats posed by Iranian proxies. The terrorist groups specifically aim to target Israel's civilian population. This challenge will continue to prompt continued Israeli innovation. This, in turn, would spark close, close cooperation and technology sharing between Israel and the United States. And so it looks like this, this, um, this is going on together, this relationship between Israel and the United States. It was really interesting to see David Friedman right there at a cabinet meeting. So not even all the MKs are there, but here you've got the United States ambassador right there uh, at this cabinet meeting to talk about this missile defense. So now that that missile defense has been uh, set up, it is now effective, it is now working, Israel feels confident to move outside of its normal sphere of, of action, and it is taking the fight to the Iranian enemy. Again, let's not lose sight of why this is important in terms of biblical prophecy. It is exposing Iran for the belligerent actor that it is. It exposes Iran's desire to fight against Jerusalem, to fight against Israel. Iran can no longer hide behind its proxies. We have this coming straight from the top. This is coming straight from Soleimani, who takes his orders from nobody else but the Ayatollah. And so this is what Mr. Netanyahu has brought about, specifically over the past 10 years. Of course, the missile system, as we just read, missile systems were, were indeed at work before then. But he pushed very hard to produce the economy that could defend Israel. This is one of the most expensive um, parts of Israel's military budget. 
This is from that Israel Hayom article from a couple of weeks ago uh, involving, uh, quoting an interview with Mr. Netanyahu. He said this, At the same time, I tried to bolster and double Israel's power. I gave instructions to build thousands of missile interceptors. There's one bad thing about all these weapons. They They cost a lot. Where will the money, tens of billions a year, come from? It will come from fostering our economic strength by fostering a growing economy and by a relatively low tax rate to create a lot more revenue. And so that's what you saw Mr. Netanyahu get involved in in his first term, in his term as foreign minister under Ariel, uh, sorry, as finance minister under Ariel Sharon, and then into this past decade uh, that he has been ruling over Israel. He's trying to unburden the economy with unnecessary regulation to promote foreign capital to be able to come into the country and foreign industries to be able to come into the country to build up Israel's financial system so that there can be the money to support Israel's defenses. You need to be able to defend against the Iranian terrorist element that's trying to always do harm to Israel, and we need an economy that's going to back that. And so he's, being, he's been doing both at the same time. Now, again, he has been aware of this threat for such a long time. This is another quote that is very interesting uh, from this same article. It's something you should all take note of, especially in a world where people don't really think war, world war, is possible. Serious wars are possible. Netanyahu wrote this, It's vital to identify a danger in time. If there's one thing that characterizes our people, it's that we haven't spotted threats in time. My father wrote a book about a leader of the Jews of Spain who was a genius as well as the finance, finance minister. And in, in 1492, shortly before the Jews were expelled from, from Spain, he writes that the, Spanish situ, that the situation of Spanish Jewry had never been better. A short time later, one of our greatest disasters befell us. And I can give you more examples. The Jews' lack of ability to foresee the dangers of the Holocaust. The arguments about Zev Jabotinsky, who, call, who they called alarmist, and they said the danger in Europe was not existential, an existential threat. It's vital to identify a threat. I saw Iran as a terrible threat and wrote about it back in 1979. I saw the threat of radical Islam. It was clear to me that Islamism would replace Nasser's pan-Arabism. The Iranians were simply busy fighting a war with their neighbor Iraq. The moment they were free, they continued the revolution that was designed to spread a murderous, zealous ideology. And a regime like that, arming itself with nuclear weapons, is an existential threat. The first time, this is Netanyahu still, I was elected prime minister, I saw that the matter still hadn't sunk in. We weren't in a complete agreement, to say the least. We were busy with the Palestinians, and no one gave a thought to the issue, even if there was understanding. Yitzhak Rabin did actually think about it. We discussed it a few times. But our systems weren't calibrated for confrontation, not in terms of diplomacy, not in terms of intelligence, not in terms of military. There was need to turn the ship around. When I left the Prime Minister's office, I did everything I could to bring about sanctions against Iran. I told then-PM Olmert that I wanted to work in the U.S. at the diplomatic level for countries to apply sanctions to Iran. I wouldn't have done that without his approval. 
As Prime Minister, I've once again done everything in my power to bring about American sanctions against Iran, as well as prepare our forces to preempt the threat. I think the international community, which we thought would take military action, decided that the way of preventing us from doing so was to issue these sanctions. And then it talks about how they were very close to attacking Iran back before the sanctions even got brought, came back, on, uh, that got reinstated. And so he has been warning for 40 years against the Iranian threat, nuclear and just uh, what we see in terms of their missile power today. And he has positioned the Israeli military establishment and the Israeli economy to be able to counter it. And that's all you can do. That's all he can do. He's going to hope that there might be regime change in in Iran. He's going to hope that sanctions themselves might bring down the regime or, or at least keep it at bay for a while. And in the meantime, he's going to bring the fight to Iran in Syria, in possibly in Lebanon, and definitely in Iraq. And that's the best that this prime minister can do. Certainly, there are things to pick at against any leader's character or flaws or issues or mistakes. But no one can deny that Netanyahu believes himself to be a defender of the Jewish people, and he takes that role seriously. And I think all Israelis do believe that, whether you disagree with him and his policy, some policies or not. Uh, we, Israel believes that he is defending the nation, and he will give all his energies towards that. I think it's really interesting that in the past year or so, Mr. Netanyahu has written up a national defense policy for Israel. This is the first defense paper, defense doctrine, basically, that we've seen from Israel since it one was written back by uh, the very founder of the Jewish state, David Ben-Gurion. And he wrote this, this defense policy that, is, that uh, Israel has used. And there have obviously been certain additions, but nobody has been able to write a comprehensive review of that until late last year. It was finished by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who understands the security policy of the security needs of Israel. And that came out, at least it was released to certain, it wasn't released to the public, it's classified. <clears throat> Not a lot of details have been put out about that. But there was a policy memo that was put out by the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, Jacob Nagel, again, the same author that wrote that previous article, and Jonathan Schnanzer this time put this together to pass some of these uh, speeches that Netanyahu has given and end with uh, some interviews and such to find out some of these details that are part of this updated Israeli security policy. And what's really interesting about this policy is that it talks a lot about how in the future there is going to be the need to take the fight to other nations to fight them on their own soil, to secure Israel with this defensive miss uh, missile shield and then try and prevent threats from getting, uh, getting that bad, getting that dangerous, such as what we see in Iraq. This is the end of this memo that was written again by the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. It says this, Netanyahu identifies the need to maintain readiness for the wars between wars. He sees the importance of protecting Israeli territory from terrorism, and as the leader of the Jewish state, he continues to see Israel's role as a protector of Jewish communities worldwide. And most of that, how do you protect Jewish communities worldwide? Well, you make sure that Israel is an extremely safe nation, and so that there is always somebody to come, somewhere to come back to. Then it writes this, In the area of moral warfighting, 
Israel remains a pioneer. It continues to prevent civilian casualties to the greatest extent possible, and Netanyahu seeks to maintain that policy. However, he notes that there will not be immunity for the masterminds of terrorist attacks and other aggressors and their dispatches, nor will Israel shy away from striking at an enemy's host country and its critical infrastructure if it means shortening the duration of a conflict." So he's talking about the changes that have been made by to Israel's defensive posture by Netanyahu, and this is one of them. This last point, they write, is likely to be m- the most important one. It's a clear message to the world about the way Israel plans to respond to the strategic and existential threats, as well as large-scale terrorist attacks. Military commanders have previously implied this message in statements, but now Netanyahu has enshrined it in a document that will likely serve as official Israeli policy for years to come. Basically, We now take the fight to the enemy. And that's what we're seeing. That's what we're seeing. And this policy is being allowed by a solid defense. Now, as he has has stated, as I said before, the main culprit here, the one that's pushing, is Iran. And Iran is going to keep pushing. Iran is the king of the south, mentioned in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 40, this king of the south that pushes, has a, has a foreign policy that pushes other nations to act. It acts in extremely disruptive ways. It fires missiles towards you that you have to create the, the, the most sophisticated defense weapon system the world has ever seen to protect yourself from it. That's proof in itself who this King of the South is. So will Israel and Mr. Netanyahu's policy be successful? Well, it has been pretty successful, I would say, for the short term, and it may be for a little while longer. But the Bible indicates that Iran's pushy foreign policy and its, its control of Iraqi territory, its control of the Persian Gulf, and even the control of lots of the Red Sea— is not going to be disrupted by Israel's defensive capabilities. It's not going to happen. Iran is going to push forward, although it may have to recalibrate itself, potentially out of Syria and out of southern Lebanon. That's what the Bible says as well. It is no longer going to be in those arenas. And so that's why it's so important to watch this. One, to see how Israel's defensive uh, capabilities and its strategy is actually having an effect on the Iranian regime But it's also important to see how undeterred they are. Undeterred the Iranians are to keep pushing towards the fulfillment of their Shiite apocalypse. There's an article I want you to read. It's from the Jerusalem Post. It's entitled, Iran's Aggression and the Shiite Apocalypse. It was written by Leila Gilbert back in August 17. And it's incredibly important because... It is a good reminder. It's a good reminder that Iran is not another nation. Iran doesn't act in terms of being a rational actor. They might be deterred for the moment because of financial sanctions, but they are not going to change their long-term policy. This is what this article talks about here. Again, I'll leave a link for you on the show notes of today's program. 
Quote, some observers are aware of the deeply religious nature of Iran's regime. However, in the U.S. and Western Europe particularly, references to religious influences in international affairs are either disregarded or find their way into the editor's trash can. But in fact, some declarations should not be overlooked, and that includes references particularly among Iran's highest levels of leadership to the hidden imam. The hidden, or twelfth, Imam plays an important dominant role in one specific form of Shiite Islamic theology called Twelverism, which happens to be the primary belief system of Iran's leadership. There is a messianic belief that at the end of days, the hidden Imam will appear in the midst of a violent apocalyptic scenario played out on a battleground stained with infidels' blood. So... This, this is what they actually believe. This is what Quds Force leader Qassam Soleimani believes. He's a, he's a, he belongs to this Twelverism clan. So does the Ayatollah. They actually believe that they can hasten the coming of this hidden or twelfth imam by producing this scene that is leading to a violent apocalyptic scenario, a battleground in the Middle East. To them, they don't have to win the war. They don't have to worry that they're not going to win the war. All they need to do is produce the scene that allows their Messiah to come. And so they're not a rational actor. They can't be um, carrot and sticked approached, <laughs> if I can put it that way. They can't be induced to change course. The fact that they're they might be destroyed by a more powerful power doesn't really change their their plan and their strategy. They're okay with that. And so how do you counter? How do you counter a population and a leadership such as Iran that is okay with being defeated? How do you stop that person? How do you stop that person that is okay with dying? We it's hard to stop a suicide bomber. Israel has done quite a lot to prevent and defend itself against suicide attacks, to try and make the deterrence, you know, against their families or something to try and stop them from doing it. But what happens when you have a military in the size of the of Iran's military with all the firepower that they have that is essentially acting like a suicide bomber that is okay with it because they understand, according to them, that all they need to do is cause the war. All they need to do is start it. All they need to do is push it long enough for their Messiah to come. Well, there's no real way of putting a stop to that except by overwhelming superior force. That's what Iran is doing right now. It's pushing the world towards that climactic battle. It's not going to end how they believe it's going to end for sure. But neither is it going to be contained indefinitely by Israel's firepower. If you want to understand more about where this push is leading from Iran, uh, you really need to read our editor-in-chief's book, Mr. Gerald Flory's book, The King of the South. It's available for you for free at Watch Jerusalem. You can just write your emails to letters at watchjerusalem.co.il and request that book, or you can click on the, the link in the show notes today, uh, and I'll have that book there for you to request. And it will tell you the biblical prophecies involving Iran involving Iran and as this king of the south, how Israel is involved, how the United States is involved, and also how Europe is involved. The player that right now you think is going to be sitting back and just letting, uh, letting everything uh, just happen to it is actually going to be the one that puts down the Iranian aggression. 
Thanks very much for listening to me today. I'm going to be back with you next Sunday. If you, again, you'd like to send some feedback on the program, please write us an email and please check in to Watch Jerusalem this week for all the latest articles that we'll have for you involving biblical archaeology and news, prophetically significant news from the Middle East. 